Hey everyone, welcome back to Practical Non-Toxic Living by Ruan. In honor of October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month, this week's episode features Nancy Burmeyer, the Director of Policy and Programming at Breast Cancer Prevention Partners. We love the organization Breast Cancer Prevention Partners because they are dedicated to not only educating and empowering women on becoming aware and detecting early breast cancer, but they are focused on eliminating the toxic exposures and environmental factors that contribute to the growth of cancer cells in the first place. Um, Nancy has done amazing work influencing state and federal policy on eliminating these toxic chemicals in consumer products, and I think you're going to absolutely love this interview, um, which was recorded actually last fall. Um, all about Forever Chemicals and consumer products. As always, with any questions, feel free to reach out to hello at ruanliving.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter by texting DETOX, D-E-T-O-X, to 66866. Enjoy! Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Nancy, we are now live in my private Facebook group called Home Detox with Sophia Ruan Duchet. Welcome and congratulations on the amazing work that you and Breast Cancer Prevention Partners have been doing. As I said just prior to going live, but for those of you who are just joining, I ran a four-day home detox challenge recently, and the theme was Forever Chemicals. And after day four, I received an email from Breast Cancer Prevention Partners announcing that the state of California passed two laws banning Forever Chemicals from cosmetics and apparel, which is very important, very exciting, Thank you, California, for continuing to pioneer public health towards common sense measures. But Nancy is here to help explain more about what this means for consumers, both in California and beyond. But first, we're going to get to know Nancy, Breast Cancer Prevention Partners, and some background on these laws, how they came into place, and when they go into effect, and really practical things that would help everyday consumers. So Nancy, thank you again for joining us today. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So for how long have you been at Breast Cancer Prevention Partners? Um, I've been at BCPP for a little over 13 years. So wow. I've been doing this work for a while. Okay, and what does is, what is BCPP do? So Breast Cancer Prevention Partners is a national organization we're located in the, in the Bay Area, although as we've all gone virtual, we've become more multi-state in terms of our staff. But we work on eliminating exposures to chemicals that have been linked by a foundation of science to an increased risk of breast cancer. So while we focus on breast cancer, those chemicals are also linked to a slew of other health endpoints. 
And we do our work in several different ways. We do public education, something like this, and there's a lot of information on our website. Um, we work on policy changes, both at the state and the federal level. We're gonna talk about you know, the state bills today. And then we also work on market campaigns. So mobilizing consumers to put pressure on companies to do a better job of getting toxic chemicals out of their products. Um, and a piece of the, the policy stuff is not only banning certain chemicals, but getting more disclosure um, of chemicals in consumer products so that um, consumers have the information they need to make safer choices for themselves and their family. So those are the kind of ways in which we work on, um, on changing the world. Uh, we've done a lot on consumer products in particular. We have a long, long history of working on cosmetics and personal care products. We've done some disclosure work in cleaning products. We've worked on food packaging. And most recently we've worked on this um, textiles bill. Wonderful. And for those who are unfamiliar with Forever Chemicals, would you provide a brief overview introduction and how it relates to every person? Absolutely. So um, Forever Chemicals or sometimes called um, PFAS, they're perfluorinated chemicals um, are used and they are called forever chemicals because they are extremely resistant to breaking down in the environment. So they will be around literally for hundreds of years once we make them. They're not, um, these kind of chemicals don't occur naturally in nature. They are created by us um, and have managed to contaminate the water of millions of people across the country and the world at large, because once it gets into the ecosystem, it just moves around, um, around the planet. Um, they are used in a astonishing array of consumer products, everything from um, dental floss to ski waxes, to cookware, to uh, clothing and other textiles. Um, food packaging, just anything that, um, so the, what they provide in terms of qualities are they are water resistant, they are stain resistant, they are grease resistant. So they're used in any of those kind of products that need those qualities. And the reason we're so concerned about them is they're um, linked to, again, an array of health problems. So they've been linked to breast cancer and other cancers. They've been linked to developmental and reproductive harm, kidney and liver damage. And you know, one of the things that's obviously concerned right now is that they've been shown to um, impact the function of the immune system and can make vaccines less effective, which in the world we live in today, we know we want vaccines to work um, as efficiently as possible. So there's been a, a lot of discussion about these chemicals around the country. A lot of states are working on legislation to try to ban them in any kind of use that are not, um, that are not required, not essential. And so a lot of, we've taken on removing those chemicals from entire um, product categories to try to reduce the volume of these chemicals being put into the environment and ultimately into us about 97% of Americans that have had, you know, based on studies of blood of Americans, about 97% of us have these chemicals in our system. 
and babies are being born with them in their system. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get into the recent laws that were passed, I think it'd be helpful to talk about how measures California has already taken to filter out or regulate PFAS chemicals in other product categories, because we're about to talk about cosmetics and apparel. But in the past, I, I think recently, California passed laws to keep PFAS chemicals from quote unquote juvenile products mm -hmm. and paper-based packaging. We didn't talk about discussing this. So just let me know if, if, um, if this is a little foggy for you, but um, I think it's helpful to recognize, to appreciate California has been taking measures to remove them from product categories, as you have just said. Absolutely. And actually, the first the first law that I'm familiar with that we worked on and we were so in California, organizations get to co-sponsor legislation. So we're actually formally attached to the legislation and we've worked on most of these bills. But we started with firefighting foam. So there's a, a, a type of firefighting foam that's used on like gas fires that has traditionally been um, have had high levels of, of perfluorinated chemicals or forever chemicals in them. And because you spray it out and then it washes into the system, it was a, it's a major source of contamination of water systems. Um, and yet there are effective alternatives out there that do not use PFAS chemicals in them or, or forever chemicals. So the first law we worked on, <clears throat> excuse me, was to ban the use of these firefighting foams that include these chemicals in California. And, at this, and then the next year, <laughs> we worked on the bills to ban PFAS in, as you say, paper-based food packaging um, that also required disclosure of uh, PFAS chemicals and other um, toxic chemicals in cookware. And that's sort of broadly defined. So um, very soon you will be able to see on a website, whether the pan or spatula or um, you know mixing bowl that you have has any of these uh, toxic chemicals in them, and that was one bill. And then, as you say, there was also a bill to ban PFAS in juvenile products. Um, so everything from nap bats to um, I think they'd included car seats and some other things as well. So there were a number of different categories captured within juvenile products. And then just this past year, we've worked on cosmetics and personal care products and um, textiles. So in these products that are compliant with the laws, will there be a label acknowledging that? Or should consumers in California just assume that if the products are sold on store shelves that they have they don't have PFAS chemicals in them. So they're not, they're not labeling requirements with most of these laws. Um, when we get to more detail about the textiles bill, there is an exception there. But um, basically, once the implementation date passes, so usually we'll pass a law and then the law will go into effect two, three years down the road. Um, and there won't be labeling to say this is compliant with California, um, but once the enactment date passes, companies are required to um, 
comply with the law. Okay. Do you happen to know off the top of your head when the enforcement date is for the major categories like juvenile products? And so the food packaging also includes cookware? So there, that was a bill that had two different sections. So the food packaging was a ban on PFAS in, as you said, paper-based food packaging. So those um, cardboard clams and any paper wrappers that are used with fast food or anything in supermarkets. I believe the implementation date on that is January 1, 2024. Um, but I would, you know, I would have to double check that. And I think the implementation date is the same for juvenile products. Okay. And then the implementation, and then in terms of the cookware, uh, the cookware is again, a disclosure bill. So the information has to be online by 2024. Um, and then it, there will have to be a label, an actual label on the product saying for more information about these ingredients, go to this website. And that has to be in place, I think, by 2025. I think we gave them an extra year to change the physical label as opposed to changing their website. Okay. So in practice, if cookware, let's say, for a car seat is sold on Amazon, should a consumer assume that they meet California's standards since California residents can buy these products. I mean, California is so powerful for a number of reasons, but it's the um, sixth biggest economy in the world. So right. that helps a lot of other residents outside California. Uh, right, and that that is a really important aspect of legislation passing in California is because it's such a big um, market, P companies don't make separate products for different parts of the country when such a big piece of it is California. So it does have a ripple effect across the country in terms of providing safer products. In terms of your question about Amazon, it's a complicated question. I think the answer is yes, that they should be compliant if they are selling in California. Certainly the disclosure piece would have to be compliant. Um, and I don't think you know, again, I'm not 100% sure of the legalities around that, but it is something that's come up and we've tried really hard to make sure that we can hold Amazon accountable for following the laws as well for any products that are sold in California. Okay, it'll probably be imperfect in practice, but that would be the hope. Again, it, it moves the entire industry. So hopefully yeah. in the long run, all of the products that people or have access to will be PFAS free. I feel like I over saw, I, I noticed, I didn't read it. I just happened to notice the headline about, I think a class action loss, I might be wrong, but I think there's a class action lawsuit against Amazon for not disclosing more upfront about products that had the California Prop 65 label. And I remember being, relieved by that because I have purchased products with no indication that there is a Prop 65 label on the product until I received it. And then it was just too much trouble to return it. <laughs> and then so I- It was on the product, but you didn't know that until you actually got it in your home. Right, because it wasn't on the website. So these right. were online purchases. Right. 
I don't know anything about the class action suit. I will say when we've worked on disclosure, we've tried to be very ex explicit that that has to be on the website so that consumers, because so many people buy things online, so that consumers know before they make the purchase. Um, I don't know the, the intricacies of the Prop 65 requirements in terms of online as well as on the package. Um, so I apologize, I can't comment too much on that. Okay, so it's so in summary, um, starting in 2024 and later, 2025 for cookware, consumers can start noticing labels on products disclosing PFAS chemicals in the key categories we talked about. And for cookware, it's more disclosure that PFAS chemicals might be in the cookware, but you should be informed either on the website or on the product. Okay, so- Right, so I mean- Pay attention. Cookware is important because sort of the traditional way people think about um, tef about um, PFAS is Teflon. So one of the original uses of these chemicals and of some of the most toxic of these chemicals, it's a class of over 9,000 chemicals. Um, and some of the early most toxic ones were used to make Teflon. Um, and they're still used to make things that are not only stain resistant and water resistant, but slick like that, that so things don't stick to them. Um, in terms of food packaging, you won't see labeling. It'll simply not be available with PFAS in it. And in terms of, uh, and the, the same as, and then for cookware, it is a disclosure. So you will start to see on the website and then online and on, uh, I mean, on the label. And on the label, it won't say this has PFAS. It will say for information about the, chem the ingredients in this product, go to this website. So you will have to take that extra step to go to the website to find out what chemicals are in there. Okay. But for cosmetics and apparel sold in California, PFAS should not be present. Correct. And those go into effect. So the, so the, the cosmetics bill, and when we say cosmetics, it's sort of shorthand for both cosmetics and any kind of personal care product that people use. Sometimes when people hear cosmetics, they think makeup, and then they think it's sort of a women's issue. Uh, um, but in fact, Personal care products include shampoos and conditioners and lotions and lots of things, um, shaving cream, lots of things beyond just mascara, eye, eye makeup, that kind of stuff. Um, and that goes into effect January 1, 2025. So after that point, any personal care product or beauty product sold in California is required to be free of perfluorinated compounds or forever chemicals. Um, in terms of the, of the apparel, the textiles bill is actually broader than just clothing. It covers clothing, all clothing, um, but it also covers like tablecloths and napkins and shower curtains and upholstery. So it covers a lot of those household products that, uh, that, have, that, are, that include a textile component or are simply textiles like napkins. Um, so we were really excited that we got it beyond just clothing. Um, the one, so one of the biggest places that PFAS are used in clothing are in outdoor gear. So raincoats in particular come to mind because they are water resistant by definition. Um, and there was a provision in the law that 
gave an extension for the time to be free of PFAS for outdoor gear used in like severe wet conditions. So think about like climbing Mount Everest or sailing through the Arctic Ocean, um, places where the functionality was really essential for the health and safety of the individual um, participating in that activity. And we made a special point to say, these are not the kind of products that are marketed to everyday consumers. So it shouldn't be in the raincoat that you buy to, um, you know, where even during regular camping, it's really about these extreme situations. So that extension was given until January 1, 2028. However, after January, 2025, those have to be labeled as containing PFAS products, if they, PFAS chemicals, if they do. So everything it, uh, with that small exception is required by January 2025, and then it will be labeled if there are um, forever chemicals in it, um, but they have to be out by 2028. So one question I had is, I, I read in one of the press releases that the laws ban all PFAS chemicals, but there are at least 10 to 12,000 PFAS chemicals. So is it really all PFAS chemicals that are banned? Yeah, I mean, that's been a really important um, aspect of doing this work and particularly around forever chemicals. So perfluorinated chemicals are, are characterized by a, the chemical bond between a carbon atom and a fluorine atom. And again, that's not a bond that exists in nature but it is one of the strongest bonds known to chemistry. We create it and it's an extremely strong bond, chemically speaking, which is why they don't break down in the environment. The way that we have defined a perfluorinated chemical in these laws is any chemical that includes one, what we call fully fluorinated carbon. So even if there's only one carbon atom that is attached to these fluorines, it is considered a PFAS chemical. And the reason is what you talked about. There are, you know, depending, you know, I've heard everywhere from 9,000 to 13,000 of these chemicals. And part of the problem is, you know, chemical companies keep making them and they keep changing one little thing about them. And it is the kind of situation that is ripe for what we call regrettable substitutions, where we say, you can't use this particular PFAS. So they're like, fine, we won't use that one, but we have all of these other ones we can use instead. And they're all bad because they're all characterized by this persistence um, and by this toxicity that um, is doing great harm to the environment and us. So, so it is broadly defined, and that is um, a definition that's consistent throughout the laws in California and are used in, and is used in laws in other parts of the country. So this, uh, this approach, this class approach is really important to really make um, the change stick and really get all of these chemicals out of our um, products. Okay, so it applies to any chemical that has the complete fluorine and a carbon. And that should cover all PFAS chemicals. Yes. So smart. And <laughs> so the concern is with our country's history, and it's probably not just in our country, substitute chemicals, as you were saying, are sometimes not safer. 
I mean, I guess there's only so much we can do, but um, I, I guess there's only so much we can do, but has California thought through that to try and prevent replacement chemicals from being harmful? Well, there is language in the bill that says companies should replace these chemicals with the least toxic alternatives. It's not, it's, it's, it's hard to enforce because it's hard to define what is the least toxic um, alternative. But what I would say about that is it's important to ban these chemicals because they are particularly problematic because of their health impacts and because of their persistence. And we as a country need to learn to manage chemicals writ large better. You know, like right now, it is incredibly difficult to get chemicals banned from the marketplace through the regulatory systems we have set up at the federal level. It's like, you know, we have to show we, the public, whether that's scientists or, or um, advocacy groups, have to show that something is, da is da dangerous before it can be taken off the market. While chemical and chem the chemical companies can just put anything they want on the market and can do whatever minimal testing they choose to do, and they don't have a burden of proof to have a specific set of safety data to show that it's safe, which is backward in our mind. Um, so we talk about a lot of these individual chemicals. We've done a lot of work on a chemical called bisphenol A or BPA, which your audience is probably per pretty familiar with. Um, and you know, it's really important to get these chemicals out. And it's important to use the examples of these chemicals to show how broken the underlying system is and build support to change the way we manage chemicals um, overall. California does have a program called the Safer Consumer Products Program, which looks at specific product categories and specific chemicals that have the potential to cause harm. And companies are then required to do an alternatives analysis to look at what are the alternatives and show which are the safer ones um, available to replace those chemicals. So that's the way the system is designed to work. It's clunky, it takes a long time, and, and and companies are more likely just to stop using the chemical than to have to go through this process. But it, it does at least um, talk about the need to look at what are we using instead. Great. Um, is there anything else we should know about PFAS chemicals? Um, just to be aware that when you're buying stain resistant things or grease resistant things, it's quite possible they include PFAS chemicals. And, you know, the thing about the marketplace is as consumers demand something different, companies will move. So to the extent you can question companies about what are in these products, you know, and push back on the use of these chemicals and other toxic chemicals, the more we'll be able to move the market in the direction of safer products. That has been the case certainly in the cosmetics industry where there is an entire sort of clean cosmetic company um, portion of the industry that is the fastest, <clears throat> fastest growing portion of the industry. And you know, the more we support them and move things in that direction, the more the entire market will shift. Um, and you know, we'd love to have you join our, our action alert list, get 
updates from us about legislation that's happening both at the state and the federal level. And just weigh in with your legislators, your decision makers to say, it's not acceptable that we allow companies to poison us for profit. It's just, you know, like you, the government has a responsibility to step in and protect us and protect our health. So to those watching and listening, I want to point out that California continues to show us what's possible when government prioritizes public and environmental health. And if, if we don't live in New York State or California, it's hard to know how we would benefit from these strengthened laws that California has passed. We do benefit, but not as much as if you're a California resident. So definitely let your voices be heard by your elected officials, let companies know, retailers know. I I know that our history shows that retailers are very responsive to consumer demands, and that can be a faster way to create healthier change. Um, so how can people support BCPP? Sign up for your newsletter. Sign up for our action alerts. Yeah, if you go to our website, which is bcpp.org, um, you will find a plethora of information from the science around each of these chemicals to tips about how to avoid some of them. <clears throat> and we also have a lot of our policy work up there, things that we're working on at the federal level, the state bills we've been working on. And obviously, as a, with any organization, we can use donations. Um, financial support is really important, but so is adding your voice to the movement to keep these issues moving forward and to try to um, create a cleaner, healthier world for all of us. So two more questions before we, we end. Um, as I was listening to you, Nancy, I was thinking about something I read maybe 15 years ago and I had a hard time verifying it, but it was something about, there, it was about claims that I think it was, it was a certain class of phthalates and plastic wrap that science had proven to be toxic to human health and development. And there were claims that companies were not putting it in products sold to a certain state or country. I, you know, the idea is it wasn't sold to California because California banned it. So they sold it to, or maybe it was Europe. Like they didn't sell it to Europe, but they sold it to America because America didn't complain. <laughs> and so I just wonder with the PFAS chemicals, since things are banned in California, some manufacturers who have this inventory, unsold inventory past 2024, 2025, if other states might end up receiving more of that, that seems like something that's possible, right? Unfortunately, it is possible. And that's why it's important that we use the state laws that we pass to put pressure on Congress to pass federal laws. I think in the long run, the fewer the products will be made, but in the short term, where those products get shifted to could have um, some impact on other, on other states and other countries. I mean, one of the things that we recently worked on in the sort of cosmetics um, realm is Johnson & Johnson made talc-based baby powder for decades, and that talc was often contaminated with asbestos, which is obviously a known carcinogen and hugely problematic. 
And they are as a result um, in the middle of hundreds if not thousands of litigation cases about the harm that they've caused by selling these, this talc-based baby powder. Ultimately, they, or eventually, they decided not to sell those, that baby powder in North America, so in the US and in Canada. But they continued to sell it on the global market, which was completely unacceptable for us. So we worked with a number of different organizations to put pressure from an international stage on Johnson & Johnson to just simply stop selling their talc-based baby powder. And they, like, I think just last month announced that they were going to stop selling this stuff on the global scale. But that's the kind of thing where we have to be really careful that the laws that we pass don't have a disproportionate impact, particularly on vulnerable communities, you know, communities of color and other countries around the world that don't have the same level of protection that the U.S. might have as as little protection as we have as, as Americans, there are places where there's even less and more like Europe. And they are definitely companies that make different products to sell in Europe than to sell in the US because Europe has stronger requirements. So if they could make it for Europe in a cleaner manner, they can certainly make it for us in a cleaner manner and they should be held responsible for doing that. Yeah, you shouldn't assume that that's done right. for us. Okay, my last question. I love asking experts about how they end up applying their expertise and practice in their own lives. And so given that PFAS chemicals are in our drinking water, I'm wondering, have you bought a water filtration system? And if so, what did you, how did you select one? I don't say I have not, I mean, I have a filtration system, but I don't know that it is specifically able to remove PFAS chemicals. One of the problems that we have with these chemicals in particular, they are extremely difficult to remove from water, which is why some of these bills that we've worked on have been supported even by um, sanitation agencies because they're responsible for taking wastewater and trying to get these chemicals out and they don't know how to do it. And to the extent that they have processes, it's extremely expensive. So um, that's why we're trying to start by stop, like turn the tap off as opposed to figure out how to treat it on the back end. But I, I don't know a lot about filtration systems and if there are any that are um, specific to PFAS. Um, obviously other chemicals like lead and those kind of things can be removed, but I, sorry, I don't okay. know the technicalities of that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you again for all that you do, for taking the time to inform us today. And everyone, sign up for BCPP, their newsletter, and support them in the best way that you can. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. I really appreciate being invited on. Good luck to you and, and your whole effort to help detox the world. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruan is a non-toxic living.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.